This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, it's Lols here. This next guest is awesome and she is just like this whirlwind of energy that almost kind of resets you. Her name is Biet Simkin. She's from New York. She's got that epic New York accent. You'll hear it. Uh, She's kind of like a spiritual healer, spiritual teacher. She's an author. She's really big into meditation. I did one of her meditations at Wanderlust Festival recently in Australia and she is all about like really getting outside your comfort zone and pu- pushing boundaries. She, in this conversation, shares a lot of her past and there's a lot of trauma, trigger warning here. Um, she has a history with drugs. Um, she lost a baby very, very young. She's lost a lot of family members. So This girl's been through loads and she's come out the other side and she's helping loads of people. I hope you enjoy this chat with the awesome Biet. I'm really excited right now because we've only met for about three minutes, but I feel like I may have met my hero. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is the incredible Biet Simkin. Am I saying that correctly? Correct. Spiritual teacher and author. Now, your book, Don't Just Sit There, New York Times bestseller, let's just put it out there. Putting it out there. Totally. Now, I went down the rabbit hole of researching you, watching videos on you, listening to podcasts off you. I hope it was fu- as fucked up as actually living it when I did it the first time. <laughs> well, I'm like, man, I need I need hours with this human being because you've been uh, through so much. So let's start at the start you were raised by an awakened shaman yeah that's pretty cool dude isn't it i feel like i kind of won the lotto there big time definitely like you know who gets raised by an awakened teacher it was sort of like you know karate kid but like that was my father like he was like i would come home and be like dad i don't want to do my homework and he'd be like wax on wax off like that was (laughs) and i was like hmm trying to put that together i've been trying to piece that together for like the rest of my life. <laughs> I imagine, would it, did it feel like a sense of freedom? Um, it did, but it was just way too much freedom. You know, like it wasn't like there was any parental okay. guidance. So it was basically like total spiritual. It was sort of like if you, instead of raising your child, you just gave them a ton of acid all the time. So yeah. like awesome because yeah. they understand the meaning of the universe in a way that no one else does. But how the fuck do you pay your rent with that? Like how do you, totally. how do you find, totally. or how do you find a husband or like how do you, like things that like, I didn't even know how to like brush my hair, you know? Like I met just girls. fundamentals. Yeah, just fundamentals. <laughs> like I remember when I was like 20 something meeting a girl who looked like she kind of knew how to wear makeup. And I was like, so like, how do you do that? You know, like I just like I didn't know. You know, wow. So is it true that you pretty much learned to meditate as a toddler? Yeah. As a result, 
Yeah, I mean, that, learning to meditate was definitely not, see, like, that, that was not one of the things I missed out on. I knew how to meditate. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool as yeah. far as, like, a gift as a toddler to learn that. It's true. It's like we all get to, like, 30 or something and we're like, shit, we need to meditate because I've got all this stress. Right. You almost learn it backwards, like, hey, this is just part of who I am. I did it backwards, yeah. I love that, though. Yeah. So... Uh, you're also, you're all these things, like at 18 you were signed as a musician to, to, Sony, yeah. to Sony, is that right? Sony Music, yeah. At 18 years old? Yeah. And were you just living like a rock star lifestyle? Yeah, I was playing, like I was playing CBGBs when I was 16 and that's how I got discovered. And um, and then we like won some kind of concert and and then Sony signed us. Yeah, and I recorded a record, but then it was the 90s, so it was like everything was... Um, there was a lot of money in the music industry at that time, yeah. so they would just throw money at you. And so it didn't necessarily lead to anything. So they just drove me around in limos, like recorded this record, and it was like constant, like all this, you know, cool shit. And they were paying for everything, and then all of a sudden it just like disappeared. And I don't know whether that was me being a, like a crazy alcoholic or whether like it was just the music industry at that time. Like, it was very mafia. Like, there was wow. guns out. Really? There was, like, c- Cuban cigars. The guy who was the producer at the time, who I won't name, is dead now. Like, oh, you know, I mean, it's okay. like, yeah, like, it was just a weird scene. It was a cool scene. I li- I'm a drug addict, so, like, I was like, let's fucking Soak do me this up. Thing. Soak yeah. it up. So, is that where kind of, like, taking drugs and stuff and partying started? Dr- drinking started then. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like later that I discovered heavy drugs. So was it just that because you're in this scene and it was like where it's the rock and roll scene, it's the music scene, it's the 90s, like partying was just went hand in hand with the music industry? Yeah, for sure. I mean, dr- yeah, I was drinking all the time. But I'm also an alcoholic. Like I'm, I've been sober for 11 years. Yeah. But like I, I'm not somebody who wanted to like I've never done anything a little bit like I'm more of like a all or nothing yeah I just want to see I wanted to see the divine so I knew that if I took those risks that I could I knew I would get those tastes of like yeah like pushing the envelope a little bit yeah nudging a little bit more yeah and then so so from art so you started in the, the music industry so how long were you with Sony for only like a year and then, but then you fell pregnant pretty young too, right? Was that 24? 20, uh, 26. 24, I had the seven pound tumor in my uterus. Oh my, at 24. Yeah. And so I was like, I had this weird thing where I thought I was going to die. And like every night <sighs> I came home and I was like, had these weird shadow. I had no symptoms whatsoever. And I weighed like probably 10 to 15 pounds more than I weigh now. Okay. Like I was just like that baby chub drinking tons of vodka, like yeah. not... You know who you yeah. are when you're like 20, 24 years old. That's part of being your early 20s though, right? Yeah, like I was just in it. Yeah. And so uh, one day I like had this vision and I'm not a vision person and I was hearing auditory hallucinations and I was like, this is also not common for me. Yeah. And these voices were like, you're dying, you know? And I was like, so one night I sat up in my bed and I said, look, what are you, you're saying I'm going to die? And they were like, Yes. And so I said, well, is there anything I can do? I don't want to die. And they were like, you need to stop eating. So I was like, stop eating what? And they were like, you need to stop eating everything. And I was like, just stop eating everything? And they were like, yeah, if you stop eating everything, you won't die. So I was like, okay, you know, if you hear auditory hallucinations and you've never heard them before, you're going to fucking do what they tell you to do. So I just did it. 
And next thing I knew, like I lost, you know, 10, 15 pounds because I wasn't eating. I was kind of also very, very crazy because you you get crazy when you don't eat. I'm like an eater. So I I was like, what is going on? How long did you go not eating? About three and a half weeks. Like I had like a cucumber here and there to like when I thought I was going to faint. But overall, I wasn't eating. And so I was like, thought I was communicating with God. Like I was losing, you know, protein deficiency. So, but I was like collecting cards in the street. Like it was next level crazy. And then three and a half weeks in, I lost this weight and I looked down at my belly and I was like, oh, that's weird. There's like a bump there. And my father was also, in addition to being a shaman and awakened teacher, he was a medical doctor. So I walked into the bedroom and I was like, hey, like, what's this? And he's like, oh, well, you are either three months pregnant or it is a very big tumor. (gasps) So then he like drove me to the hospital and we didn't have money. We were like broke AF Mm. and no money, no health insurance, no life insurance, like nothing. He's like, don't worry, I saved OBGYN's life. Uh, he helped me now. So he calls this like famous OBGYN. And this guy's like, whatever you need. So he sneaks me into the VIP ward of his no. hospital <laughs> and then proceeds to carve the tumor out so that I could have children one day. So seven, so for Aussies listening, seven pounds is about three and a half kilos, right? Yeah. I, I think it's half, I think it's around about half or four, nearly four kilos. It's about a grapefruit. Whoa. It was like corrosive. It had taken over my uterus. So how old were you there? You were 24, 24. then. So when did the drugs come into play? Um, I think right after that. And then also when I got pregnant two years later, yeah. I had to stop taking drugs to have the baby. And I heard, I've heard you say that you wouldn't have said that you were sober then. You were just dry out, dry. Of, out of kind of like, well, I'm pregnant and I'm doing the right thing right now. Yeah. As like opposed, miserable. Yeah, as opposed to I'm never going to do drugs again. Like, no, I couldn't I wait yeah. to like do drugs again. And so I I can imagine that, and I know we're going pretty deep pretty fast, but there's just something so cool about your energy. I'm like, this chick is open. I love it. <laughs> so um, you had this little angel of a baby yeah, for really. a very short amount of time. Do you want to share what happened? Yeah. Um, so then after I had the tumour removed, the doctor said to me, if you don't have a kid within two years, this tumor, kind of tumor that I just carved out, will come back. Oh, my God. He said, so you, he's like, so if you don't have a kid within two years, you, this tumor will return and I'll have to give you a hysterectomy because there's no way I can do this surgery again. It was very dangerous. Mm. And so I was like, I'm not going to get pregnant in two years. He was like, I don't really care. That's not my business. He's like, I'm just telling you medically, like, this is what's going to happen. Two years later, basically to the date, I get accidentally pregnant. So Ula came in, I gave birth to her, and she cured my uterus so that mm. I can have kids whenever and forever and healthy. She saved my uterus completely. Like once you have a baby, it's very uncommon to get that okay, tumor back I again. I understand. So then four months later, and she was healthy. She was 100%, so mm. cute, little redhead. Oh. And uh, four months later, she died of sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. That's the that's the word to me. That would be as a like I'm not a mother, yeah, yeah. but I could only imagine that like, especially SIDS. We we call it. I don't know SIDS. if it's called SIDS there, but we call it. It's like I could only imagine that's like one of the most harrowing things because there's no. It's just yeah. Like did it happen in her sleep when she was in her? Yeah. Cot? Well, she yeah. was with the the dad and in the living room, and he brought her to me dead. So. So in after that happened from what I've heard and seen of you your coping mechanism 
was heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Quite fast. Like we like this is. Well, so I had much already pain. I had already been doing a little bit of heroin and cocaine before mm. that. So not to this extent, but I just went way deeper into it. And as soon as we left the funeral, I like went and picked up a bunch of heroin. How long were you taking heroin and coke for? All in all, like four years. Uh, but but mostly like after her death, so she died. Yeah, I don't know. She died in two thousand six, and I got sober in two thousand and nine. So three years wow. of like straight, yeah. Like day, like daily. Yeah, you have to do heroin yeah. daily. Well, I, like, what would you for people listening? Does it rem- when you described before about like wanting to get close to the divine and that feeling of like, wh- I've heard you describe heroin is kind of like removing desire. Yeah. Would you describe it like that? It does remove desire, not completely though. I think that it it kind of gives you the delusion that you are in your essence. You know, so it's very similar. Like my life today like I'm living in essence, which yeah. means like I'm in bliss. I'm in flow. Everything that I say I'm going to do, I do. Everything I want, I manifest. It's like it's like, you know, it's like the yellow brick road, you know? Totally. But back then, I think that heroin has this incredible aspect and coke, and I did them both daily, uh, speedball is mm. what, you know? And it, it gives you the, the feeling and the achievement feeling of that covering, like the cloud cover of like the deep, depressing knowing that you don't have that and you aren't actually that. And you couldn't... You can't manifest anything when you're on in that state because you're so delusional. Really? Yeah. It, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that takes big courage. I mean, I've heard you talk so openly about it like, hey, this is, I'm just sharing what's real. Yeah. And I think that that's, when I say like there's this kind of like hero power about you, to me it's like I love real. Yeah. And you are so, so that. So thank you. Thanks. Nah, man, thank you. I found this quote of yours and I love it. And it's, when shock comes, we have access to our higher self. So shock, it sounds like, and this is just a, you've shared just a few of the shocks. It sounds like you've had a fuckload of shocks in in a reasonably, like from what I can see in your timeline, it kind of happened or I don't want to compare you to like, you know, the, the 27 Club and all of that kind of stuff, but that kind of like coming of age kind of, right. it feels like you just went through, how, well, went to hell and back, it feels like that. I think it got, it escalated then, but I already had had a very tragic upbringing. My yeah. mom died when I was six. Of like pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer, dropped dead right, yeah. right before my seventh birthday. Then my, every one of my grandparents died one by one after that. We were very poor, we were immigrants from Russia. Mm. So it was just like, really dark you know I had a really dark 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 childhood although I like to input this because it's kind of I think people get really confused because they hear about my childhood and they're like there's something really juxtaposy about my childhood in the sense that there's like there's a real sadness like roaches mice poverty like we just we had such a dark life and to lose a mom at that age it's something I still deal with till this day but um but the amount of love and the amount of culture and the amount of magic that my household mm. held, it's like 
I don't know how many people have access to that kind of wealth ever. Mm. So when I, whenever I see like a film that's really inspirational or whenever I just remember the meaning of it all, I remember that regardless of how poor I was, regardless of how fucked up my life was and all that loss, I don't know, there was like through it, through it, there was a grain of like culture and wisdom and love, mm. like real, real love. And that's the kind of wealth that you can't. Totally. It's kind of interesting because like on the one hand, I'm, I'm one of the poorest motherfuckers on the planet. Like I come from nothing, like mm. New York nothing, like not like third world nothing. Yeah. But still New York nothing is, is fucked up nothing. Yeah. And like, but I just see it as like, wow, but I'm one of the wealthiest people on the planet because who has that, you know? Would you attribute that to your dad? My dad, my brother, even everyone who died, like my family yeah. who died, like the mount they loved us till they died. Yeah. It's like um, they showed me what love was because they, I don't know, it was just like, they were like, I'm not going to stop loving you just because I'm going to die, you know? Yeah. So do you feel still connected to them yeah. now that they're gone? Very much so, yeah. I love that. You're very wise. I'm sure you've heard that a million times before. <laughs> Funny story. I actually was, I was dating this guy years ago. I've been with my husband for like 10 years now, but this is before that. I was yeah. dating this guy. He's like, he's sort of like this actor guy. Um, obviously won't name names, but whatever. The point is, is yeah. that we were dating and he's super hot and he was like, you know, we were like sexy texting or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like in the one of those moods, you know, when you text out and you're like, all right, two things you love about me, you know, to play the game of like, yeah. say something nice. Yeah. So I said that and he wrote back, you're the wisest person I've ever met. And I just fucking got so pissed off. I was like, what the, what am I, Yoda? Yeah. Like, I was, I was, I was hoping you were going to talk about my tits. Like, this is a really <laughs> fucked up moment. And then it was like this flurry of anger that I got into. And then it was like, what, so I communicate with God directly and I'm not religious, but this voice came down. I was like, this guy just said that you're the wisest person he's ever met. Yet. Like, take it. You know, yeah. and it was like one of those moments where I just had an aha kind of yeah. out of body experience. This is back in the day yeah. too. Where I was like, I'm fucking wise. Like, yeah, man. yeah maybe I'm like not a fucking supermodel, <laughs> and maybe, but I'm fucking wise. And I was like, I'll take it. I yeah. to- <laughs> it's a compliment. It's a yeah. big compliment. I like that story. So, um, not to stick too much to the rock bottomy kind of stuff and the heavy stuff, but there was so much that. It seems like like when you were in that that phase of heroin and cocaine, did, is it true that all these things happened? So you just, your best friend hung himself. One of my best friends hung himself, yeah. How old was he? He was young. He was like, I don't know, eight years older than me. So I was 27 at the time, so he must have been like 34, 35. Oh. So sad. That's yeah, man. Your house burnt down. Yeah, that happened too. That happened. And so you lived in it. How I did. So like, uh, we were in a three-bedroom rent-control apartment yeah. in New York City, which is like for anyone who's listening who lives in New York City, it's like that's a thing you want to yeah. hold on to. It yeah. was like really cheap and really huge, and and in a pretty. It was like in Queens, so yeah. not, definitely not a coveted neighborhood, but for some. And so Queens is awesome. Queens is awesome if you're the Shangri Las or if you yeah. want to like give up on life. It's great. Okay. It's great for that. <laughs> so I was like, never. I never felt like I belonged there. It was tor- It was like torture for me because I'm a bit of a. I don't know what the word is. 
what's the word for when you're like kind of snobby and effete? Like I, I'm, I'm like that. Okay. So okay, to be okay. born like that and in Queens, yeah, you just always feel like you don't fit in. Like yeah. I would be like in junior high school, and there was like these Boricua, like I fucking cut you, you know, and I was like. <laughs> I was like, I'm just here listening to Pink Floyd and like yeah. meditating. And they were like, you're a fucking idiot, you know? Yeah. What are you trying to be so intellectual for, you know? It was really, it was really strange. You, you did so, a really good job then, by the way. But like, that's because I grew up in that shit, you know? Like, I wore the Zornaka earrings. My first boyfriend was Dominican. Like, I did it right. Like, I really did it, you know? We went to merengue parties. Rubbed up on my coochie. <laughs> amazing, amazing. <laughs> so, um... What's the point of the story? I was growing up there. The house burns down. Yeah. Which is caused, like, I think it was one of those fires that was started by a new management company because they wanted the people in the rent control apartments out. Okay. So they burnt down half of it, and then the fire department came and, like, put it out, but the other half was still livable. So I lived in the half that hadn't burned down, waiting for them to fix it, just doing heroin all day, every day, oh, wow. for four months. Holy... That's yeah. crazy. It was like, have you seen Fight Club? Yes. It was like that. Yes. It was like that. I have seen Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> and then in this uh, kind of like, in this kind of like, I don't know what you're in at this stage, but is yeah. that when when does it fit in where your dad passes away? He passed away right then. So I he moved me uh, to a new, because they finally never came. And he mm-hmm. was like, I'm coming. I take you to a new apartment. I was like, okay. And this guy is like broke, but he totally takes care of me, you know? Yeah. So he comes in and gets me a new apartment, some cheap little apartment deep, deep, deep Brooklyn, like middle of nowhere yeah. with him. Like he was living there. And so I get into this one bedroom apartment out there. And I think a year after that, he he died of a heart attack. And he was 67, sort of like. That's pretty young. Really young. Yeah. So you lost your, one of your soulmates. He was my, every, he was like my, you know, God. I didn't have a God. I didn't have a center. I didn't have a ground. I just had my father. Mm. So if you have this enlightened guru living in your life, it's like, it gives you an excuse. And he enabled me. Like he loved me, you know, so much. Like he was like, I'll do, because I think he was still trying to compensate for the fact that my mom had died. Mm. So he was just like, just, I think he was scared that I was going to die or like, something worse if mm. he didn't take care of me because mm. I was so, like, hurt by what had happened. Didn't he always say to you, like, I know you're going to be okay. I know you're going to find your way. Like, he I did. Know. He did, but I, he'd never lived to see that. Yeah. Because I don't think he, he had the power to help me when he was on the planet. It was like as if as soon as he died, it was as if he gained some insane superpower to connect with me because I felt like he... Was catapulting me really? into sobriety. Yeah, yeah. Because I've I've watched an interview where you were like, one day I just knew. Yeah, which is obviously like it's going to be a very uncomfortable transition to go from taking heroin daily to not. Well, the forty eight hours that I cold turkeyed it, it was yeah. uncomfortable. But that's that's it. And it was just a, it was just like a. Did it feel like a spiritual decision? Did it feel like it was something bigger than yourself, or did we just like nah? This is enough for me. At that time, I don't think it felt spiritual. I think it just felt like I I had zero, I just had zero energy left. Like I was like, I don't think I, I just felt like maybe I think I'm going to die if I keep going. Mm. Oh, that was it. No, I had that moment where I saw that if I kept doing this, like I didn't think I was going to die, but I thought I was going to turn into this woman who was like 10 years older and mm. still doing that. And I was like, wait. 
that's not how I see my future. Mm. So then I was like, well, how the fuck am I going to get from here to there? Because I saw my future as what it is now. Mm. Well, like not exactly because I didn't know I was going to be a spiritual teacher, but I definitely thought I'm going to be rich and famous and like travel the world and <laughs> and be like interviewed and, all, you know, in front of cameras all the yeah, time. Yeah. So And then when I thought about it, I was like, how the fuck is that going to happen? Like people don't go around just doing a bunch of heroin into success. That's not like... The, the, it's path. Not the path. It's not the path. It's not the common path. Yeah. So I was like, fuck. And I kind of, vanity got me sober because I was like, I don't think this is going to work as a plan of action for that. And so I just, for the first time in my life, had the, had the, gall to like do the math I'd never done math before I was like this plus this equals this that was quite practical it was very practical I was Mm. like this doesn't seem like it's going to add up to the result that I'm looking for so I think I'm just going to stop and and then I went and I got sober and I like did it like with complete abandon like I learned every technique that you could to kind of get through sobriety in a way where um, where you're plugged in. Because for anyone who's listening to this who's mm. still on drugs or drinking, like mm. you're not going to fucking get sober unless you turn to a spiritual solution. Because you're a spiritual being and the ways in which you're fucked are only cured by spiritual solutions. You don't know that because you only experience those spiritual solutions when you're drinking or snorting yeah. something. But it's like, that's spiritual. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Like cocaine is is just a cheap fucking fake, fucking pussy-ass way to have a spiritual experience. Yeah, wow. There's this bit that you've said, and it feels like the perfect time to kind of turn to it. There was a bit where you were like, I've watched that much stuff of you, so I have no idea where this has come from. I really nerded out and fangirled you. (laughs) Um, There was a moment where your heart was torn to shreds, so I'm presuming it could be all of the things we've spoken about. But then there's this bit where you go, transform that shit and make it your bitch. Mm. Is that kind of like it's like, okay, I'm in this fucked situation. Mm. I'm this is not gonna get me to where I see myself. Yeah. I'm gonna transform this shit. I'm gonna make it my bitch. I'm gonna fucking like is was it kind of like I'm the master of this shit now? Or was it just like, nope, I'm not doing that? Like how did you kind of like find your way? That's that's a great question. It's super not it's super not that. Yeah. It's it was the opposite. I think if you're going to transform the first step is to melt and dissolve sort of like bug soup. Mm. You know, um when the when the chrysalis becomes a butterfly, right? Mm. The first thing that it does is it dissolves the entire body of this chrysalis like melts into a soup-like substance and out of that soup-like substance comes the pieces of this butterfly, the monarch. And so, like, I think first I had to be completely broken down and learn that I am nothing and learn that that I'm selfish and learn what a piece of shit I am and kind of really get connected to my flaws and to my, Mm. like, all the things, like all my resentments and all my hatred and all my, like, victim ideas of what a victim I Mm. am. And getting connected to that gave me complete freedom, but that was only step one. And I think, I don't know who gets stuck there, but if you get stuck there, that's kind of not the win, the end zone. Yeah. The end zone is you got to actually come out of really realizing how nothing you are to remember that you are actually a space where everything is possible. Now, what is a space? A space is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So I am still nothing. I'm still a space. But if I'm a space, then... That means that I decide what 
projects into that space. I decide what we're going to co-create in this space. And that's when I decided to make it my bitch. Because first I just had to figure out that I was its bitch. And that yeah. took years. Yeah. Because to see all the colors and the ways mm. in which I had been this power's bitch. And then one day I took this power and I said, well, look, if you've been making me your bitch mm-hmm. for this long... And you exist and I exist and we're one. Does that mean that I can like suck you dry as my power source and make you my bitch? And it was just kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, kind of like I found out it's dirty secret that I held the key and it was it was my power all along. I had just been giving it away. I think so many people can relate to that, though, in, in different ways. Yeah. Like um, I think we get caught up in our own bullshit and, and our same stories over and over. And you keep living this same, like, lesson or this podcast is called Fearlessly Failing, that same kind of like you trip oh, yeah, on the, the same. Oh, man. You, we haven't even yeah, gotten to that. <laughs> it's totally up to you. Well, yeah, what we, but, I mean, it's it's so easy to get stuck in I'm guessing that's the larvae, like the the, the the melting bit where you're kind of still stuck in this vortex and you're like, yeah, I can I can acknowledge that that's yeah. that thing. Yeah. But it's it, it's almost comfy to stay there and it's kind of comfortable to live in what you know. Yeah. And so to then be like, hang on, what if I turn the tables, make it my bitch? Like I imagine that's the moment where, like as I say this, my, I'm, I'm sitting up taller. Like it feels very empowering to think and feel that way. Right. But it's also quite scary because you're stepping out of that comfy like, yeah. you know. You have to recondition your whole totally. perception. Like everything about your perception is now have to be thrown out the window. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like one day you decide and then that's it, you're fucking free. It's more like you decide and then you you get surprised over and over how this thing is like, yeah. no, now you're my bitch again. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. like, no. And then turn it around and then no. And then turn it around, you know, and there's and there's this beautiful thing, but you like awaken. I mean, look at your... You know, I look at my affirmations or, like, things that I said, okay, this is going to happen. Mm. Happens. Yeah, they all, you know, <laughs> they all happen. And But it's also, like, looking back two years ago, looking back to the things I said, and then it's all here, you know, so to, totally. it's pretty cool. I remember when I was in my first year nutrition uni degree and I wrote, I had a left hand, I'm right-handed, and I had yeah. a left-handed book beside my bed to teach, I'm really weird, to teach myself to be ambidextrous. Wow. And I'd write my dreams with my left hand and it was like live in a tree house, like, and I made all these like goals and I found the book like five years later and I was like, I have done everything except go on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Oh, wow. So I'm like, I've done everything on the list. We should do that. I know. We should go on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yeah, man. She needs us. Yeah, man. She really does. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Ellen, if you're listening, or for yeah. anyone who's listening who knows Ellen. Yeah, man. Hook, hook a sister hook us up. up. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk to failure? Like, I'm so happy for you to narrate this. Are there, is there anything that comes to mind when I say, because I imagine you've got to potentially have an, a different take to some people because... I've interviewed a few people and they've said, can we not call it a failure? Mm. And I'm like, of course, we don't have to. We can call it whatever you want to call it. Mm. I love failing personally. I love mm. being like, oh, wow. Mm. But, yeah, give me a, give me a felt, give me a Fuck, take. man, I fail at shit all the time. Yeah. You know, like if people are, if you're not failing, like you are not alive, you know. So, you know, you want to know how to live, like be open to failing. I think that that's where my life started is when I started being willing to fail. 
Oh, I love it. Just there, being willing. Are there any like, moments or little yeah. examples that come to mind? Yeah, for sure. Well, one time I got offered this gig. So I was going to guide a mass meditation for 3,000 guests at, at Madison Square Garden, like in the main oh, room. Man, oh, now, man. to be clear, like Madison Square Garden can fit 20,000 people. And so my ultimate vision is to guide 20,000 people in Madison yeah. Square Garden. So if you're listening, feel free to hold me to that. But at this awesome. time, this was 3,000. I was like, we're, we're in the right direction, yeah. right? So I was really excited about this. And as the time grew closer, there was a lot of problems with this organization and they were just not sending the paperwork, and it was really getting weird. And I was like, this is unusual. It's a sign that something might go wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was in L.A., and I got, I had this feeling that the news was about to come, that they were going to cancel. And it was three weeks before the experience, and I was so excited for it. And I got this email, of course, and it was like, we have to cancel. And luckily, I was in this zone where I was like, naturally tripping on acid, which is what I, just so you know, like if you come to meditate with me, it's what I do for people. I get you high as fuck, like you've never been high before with zero drugs. Get to wonder lost people. Yeah. I'm pumped. Sign me up. We're doing Melbourne, Yeah, man. So it's like, you know, I I just was on my own trip in that way. So as I got the email, I felt this wave hit me. So I write the guy back and I said, I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, and I was like, you know, the fact that this is happening right now, this is one of my greatest dreams ever is to guide this meditation experience. And the fact that you're canceling it on me just makes me feel like I'm really moving in the right direction. And I was like, because a lot of, because anyone who's moving towards greatness has to experience great loss and agony on the way. And you have broken my heart with this news. And I was like, and he was so touched by my email. He didn't even know what to do. But the point is, it's like in this fucking company who I won't name is totally fucking going bankrupt now. Like they're, they were like at the top, like everyone was like, I want to work with this company. It turns out as Mm. of like a couple of weeks ago, they're going down. So yeah. it's weird how yeah. those things all yeah. connect. But it was one of the greatest failures of my life. Like I was like, I went from feeling like that was going to happen to it like being completely taken. Yeah, man. I feel I'm here now. I've been booked for gigs and I've been like, oh, my God, my first ever TED Talk. Right. And I was so excited and they pulled the pin on me. Wow. Two weeks before, wouldn't give a good reason. And oh. I, I wasn't as gracious as you. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Who's this bitch? I was getting so angry. I was like 23 and I was like all about like just people like I, – I, I took it so personally and that's been my biggest lesson. Mm. I would always take failures really personally or if something didn't go right, I'd feel like it's a reflection of me as opposed Mm. to it can be so many other things. It can be other people. I've lost gigs on TV for having blonde hair, not brown hair. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like you're not going to win them all. I know, but you'd think being like I, as egocentric as I am or as like optimistic, like endlessly optimistic as I am, like I just don't see denying force. I don't see, yeah. I don't see that things might not go the way I planned. So for me, any hiccup is like a huge shock because I'm yeah. just like, how is it possible? Like, but then I have to lean back and be like, oh no. So, but let me just share a few more because yeah, I please. feel like why Let's not like, give Let's you, so it. that was one. And then, oh, I felt like I was going to share another one with you. Here recently, my biggest failure, and this is I haven't concluded yet, is like body love. I mm. haven't figured that one out at all. Like I'm not, 
I don't, I'm like partially very, very beautiful and like very attractive. And partially like I have some flaws that I'm just like. You're pretty beautiful, mate. Yeah, but listen, like I'm (laughs) saying like I have flaws that I have not been able to reconcile. Like I think, I don't know whether that means I'm supposed to like go on some crazy like hardcore like workout system or diet system. I don't diet, by the way, Mm -hmm. but like I'm talking about Mm -hmm. like eating healthy Mm -hmm. system. Something to self-love on myself in some new way that I've never tried before. Maybe. Mm. But the other option is like, maybe I'm just supposed to love myself with like cellulite and some flaws. I don't know. But what I do know is that this journey of like self-loathing, using my body as a punching bag Mm. because of all the trauma that I've been through, because I don't, I think those things are correlated, you know, like food, food intake. And my grandma, whose name was Lola, (laughs) she used to feed me like, she just fed me like toasted bread with cheese you know and like to me it's like when I'm feeling sad which you know happens all the time as a human being yeah. I'll be like I just bring Lola back yeah. by eating bread and cheese yeah. like I'm just like Lola and then the fucking bread like the bagel will be finished and I'm like Lola's dead like Lola's yeah. not here anymore yeah. you can't bring her back with a bagel so that's a way in which like I'm still working with and I love that I'm sharing this because I think as a spiritual teacher, I've always felt like I'm not allowed to tell you that I still am experiencing things uh, like I'm working on. Like I'm supposed to be like, and now yeah. like I have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that even though my other baby died, I have a baby now. Yeah. Or like even though I used to be poor, now I'm motherfucking rich. <laughs> and even though I used to be chronically single and dating the wrong guy over and over, I'm with the handsomest, most amazing man for 10 years. Like... Not my style to tell you that I've got cellulite and I hate my body sometimes. Like, not my style. But I just think there's something really humbling to, like, tell you the truth. But also I think, and I can relate to you, and I know that, like, probably 100% of the women listening to this can relate to you. Like, um, I'm a nutritionist, but I've had massive history of eating disorders and the self-loathing, but also the body dysmorphia is Fucking massive. He's massive. Yeah. Like I'm a small human. You're a small human. And my <laughs> boyfriend is like, say what? Like when I'm like, I'm having, I feel really fat today or I'll be like, I've got cellulite. He's like, I can't see it. Same. They don't see it. I don't know what trip they're on. They don't yeah. see cellulite. I don't get it. Yeah. My and man is like ass. Yeah. He, that's all he sees. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I love me some ass. And every time he sees like a hot girl in the street, it's always some girl with a big ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that is not even, what? <laughs> There's a theory that women care about their aesthetic looks and their body and all that for other women because mm-hmm. we judge each other so harshly, whereas mm-hmm. men just love, like, they love a woman to look like a woman, not right. like a Barbie doll or a stick figure or like yeah. all these other things that we think are perfect. Wow. So it's pretty fascinating. But I love that you shared that because, man, oh, man, like I can have days where I'm like I've emotionally eaten and normally it's hormonal, which is also normal for women to crave things before they get their period and shit like that. Do you know? Like, But we're taught that, oh, having that... You know, like the the Lola food that you had, you know, yeah. the, the toast and cheese or or having a bit of chocolate. Yeah. We're like automatically like I feel shame and guilt when right. I, I feel like I've overindulged. And I so thank you for sharing that stuff yeah. because mate. <laughs> yeah. That's me. Like a good day is just a pinch of chocolate most times, right. you know? So I think fuck also like one thing I say to people, and I've learned this, I did write a diet book and I've 
put on and lost heaps of weight publicly. So yeah. pretty people love commenting on my body. Mm. And so I say, I've said in when I've been interviewed, I've gone, listen, I'm either going to be too fat for someone or too skinny for someone else. So why not do what feels good for me? Right. And that's pretty empowering. Right. And I, I've had, and this is my new thing. I've had someone say to me again, people just love commenting. I'm, I'm probably bringing it in because I'm still learning about it. Yeah. But someone's like, oh, I'd be, I'd been doing my yoga teacher training. And you naturally, you're training for like four hours a day, mate. Like yeah. you, you, your body gets lean and limber because you're doing these vinyasa poses sure. over and over. Someone's like, oh, you know, you look a bit too lean. And I, and I, and I said, for who? Right. It also can be really triggering though when for people you, say that. Me, like I'm know. like, should I go eat something now? Like what? Yeah. And I also never loved the word triggering. Like I felt like what I'm like such an asshole. Like I'm very masculine. I'm oh, very like, the real fuck deal. you, I'll yeah. shoot you kind of. Th- like I'm not, I'm kind of a criminal. Like I just, I don't really think of things in those terms. I'm like triggering. What am I? Some like whiny fucking codependent <laughs> anonymous person like what you know so I just whenever I hear that but it's true like what, yeah, what to me what the word triggering just means now is like I travel back in time it's like something will happen here and now like yeah. I'll see something or yeah. I'll hear something and all of a sudden I become an eight-year-old whose mom yeah. just died and I'm yeah. sitting all alone with no food in my apartment yeah. and I got a toast and some A1 sauce in the fridge I like what's A1 sauce you guys don't have that I don't here? think we do what is it it's disgusting it's like some kind of sugary Worcestershire type thing. Oh, okay. So I used to, so we had no food. My dad was this awakened guru who would like just go off, disappear. My my brother was like the metalhead guy who yeah, was like, could. I don't know what he was doing. And so I would come home, I'd be like alone for hours and hours watching like Little House on the Prairie, which I don't know if you have yeah, that show yeah, here. We do, we do, we do. But then like uh, there was no food. So I'd like open the fridge and I was like, bread, A1 sauce. Like, so I would like put the A1 sauce on the, and then like make toast. And that was my meal, and it was just like. And then my dad would come home at two in the morning with a bunch of food, and it was two a.m. But I couldn't sleep because I was a fucking insomniac as a child. Yeah. And so he'd come up and be like, "Hello," <laughs> and he's like, "You are awake." And I was, of course, I was awake. And he's like, "I have food," and he would make me toast with cheese and like sweet tea with sugar. Yeah. And so like, and honey, and I was like. That's what I turned to because yeah. that's like the feeling of my father Being came nurtured. home at two yeah. in the morning. Yeah, and it's like not that's that's triggering whatever the fuck that word. Yeah, means, I know? like that you unpack triggering though because that word gets thrown around a truckload. Yeah, so much you hear that word all the time. It's really annoying. I yeah, I'm like stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah total. I love it because people use it as an excuse. They're like, it's triggered. It's yeah, like yeah. it's like Instagram's not that fucking powerful. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just a fucking device. Yeah, you weren't triggered. You are responsible for that experience. You know what I mean? Like yeah, maybe you traveled back in time to a time when you were traumatized as a kid. But it's not fucking whoever the fuck's fault on Instagram that you travel. Totally, totally, (laughs) totally, totally. This is going to feel like I'm turning a different corner here right now, but is it true that you compose music for meditation? Am I saying this right, for your meditation? Yeah, I score my meditations with my own music. But to be clear, it's not like kumbaya, (laughs) like djembe, you know, um, I don't know what you call that fucking instrument with the Hindu. It's none of that. The kitan. None of of that. It's none of that. It's more like it's pop. My new record's going to be like pop, pop. I found your video. I found a video clip on YouTube. Did you? Of the song Eye in the Sky. Oh, yeah. I didn't write that, but that's a cover. Hot video clip. Thanks. (laughs) 
You are just one of those people that like even just being around you, I feel inspired because you're creative, you're marching to the beat of your own drum. That's my only rule about this podcast for Mm. everyone that comes on. I'm like as long as they're marching to the beat of their own drum, they can get on here. Like bring them on. And when I say that, I mean you're doing you. Yeah. You're doing what feels obviously real and honest in your heart. Fuck yeah. And to me that feels like the recipe for bliss. It is, yeah. You know, like for people listening, if you if, if they're like, and you touched on this earlier, but like if they're feeling a little bit like stuck yeah, or a bit lost or a bit like, oh, I'm hitting a lot of closed doors right now, which you can feel when you go after your dreams. You mentioned that before, you know, and, and they say, you know, you fall down seven times, you get up the eighth one or it's right before that moment where you're about to give up that everything turns around. Like what? Like you've got so many gems of wisdom because you're very wise. (laughs) Wise and broken. No, but and there's this other magic in someone that's felt darkness and then to be in light. Mm -hmm. And and to me that's real human nature. Like that's the real human experience. Yeah. Because I don't think we don't go and not feel anything. Yeah. And you said before like, yeah, I have sad days. I'm sad sometimes and that's okay. Yeah. It's it's hard for it to be okay for a perfectionist like me, right? It's yeah, hard, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I yeah, work yeah. with it. Like I'm like, all right, sadness is. You know, you know what made me really hit me? Like a couple of months ago, I was really sad for a minute. Like I don't get sad for long today, but I get sad sometimes. And so I was sad for like whatever an hour. Oh. And in that moment, I was like so ashamed of how sad I was. And I was like, I'm not allowed to be sad again. Like I'm a spiritual yeah. guru. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, wait. But yet, like the reason you write such fucking epic music is because you, because yeah. you really feel sadness. Like you, you don't kind of feel sadness. Like you really feel mm. sadness. And the reason I help thousands of people across the world, mm. and the reason my book is so effective, is because I really feel sadness. Like yeah. I don't just, I dip my toe in it. Like I'm like, if you're gonna fucking come, like we are gonna yeah. fucking fuck. Let's fuck. Let's fuck right now. And I have sex with sadness. I like. I make love to sadness and then records are created, yeah. you know? Have you heard the score to the new Joker movie? No. Have you seen the movie? No. So it's a uh, Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker, but the score is done by this phenomenal Icelandic musician called Hilda, I don't know how to say her second name, oh. and I've listened to a podcast with her and she's like, oh, like, God, like happy, really bubbly, walks in with a yoga mat, like, Bubbly, bubbly girl, this music is dark. Wow. Like, and they get her in for all oh, the, like, you, and and wow. it's one of the only movies where the score was written before the script. So they based this movie what? around her score. I'm so jealous right now. This is like my oh, dream. You, I feel like you two are like kindred spirits. Amazing. Um, and she's really, but like the way you're talking really now, but the music is like, like, it is dark, wow. epically dark. Like me and my boyfriend are like, can we listen to the Joker soundtrack again? <laughs> he's, he's a music producer as well and loves doing scores and composing. So oh, he, wow. we both just, and now we've started to look up any many movie that she's kind of done or her mates have kind of done because wow. it's this, and it's I think it's because it's tapping into this depth that we all feel but we don't always talk about. Right. It's so inspiring. Oh, you mean because we're all going to die? Right. Right. I find, and I can't believe we're about to talk about death here, but a lot of people fear death. I don't think it's scary. I don't know why. Oh. You know? Like, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, because it's blissful. You probably just remember. 
Yeah. Well, my I work with a healer and therapist, Terry, and he says that like he talks about love in this lifetime and he says if if you're here, he talked about if you're here to, to discover self-love in this lifetime, yeah. at the point of your death in your last life, you were loved at that point. Right. And I'm like, I like that. I'll definitely like take that <laughs> with me. I, I, I read that you said depression is a gateway to bliss. Mm. That's pretty cool. I like that. It's true. It, it's interesting. A, a lot of people would be like, ah, oh, would associate the two as two separate entities. Oh, no, they're, they're the same. Yeah. So would you say that place we feel darkness mm. is also the place that we can access bliss? I just think when you stop, you know, qualifying one or the other as each and you just accept that you're here to co-create magical experiences and create things. You're actually here to create things. And for some people, that's music. For others, that's literature. For some, it's architecture. For some, it's plumbing. I mean, there's really no, it doesn't matter what your craft is. It just matters that you are in essence when you are doing it, right? And that you're remembering that you have a soul. And I don't think it matters. Like when I'm sad, if I can remember my soul, it's like it doesn't matter that I'm sad at all. And if I'm happy, if I can remember that I have a soul, it doesn't matter that I'm happy. It's only when I get pulled into happiness or pulled into sadness and I become identified with mm. either of those that I start to really suffer. Because yeah. suffering comes from identifying with feelings rather than being with feelings. Like yes, rather than being with them and in love with them mm. and then experiencing life despite them. Mm. But I become the feeling when I'm like, I am sadness. Yeah. That's when I get depressed yeah. because I'm not fucking sadness. Yeah. I've never been sadness. I can't be sadness. You'll be it, mate. Right. But I don't remember that when <laughs> yeah, I'm really, totally. really sad. It's yeah. like me and the sadness. It's it like vortex. sucks me in. And the next thing I know, you're like, Biet, you know, you're really beautiful. You're so talented. You're like really smart. And I'm like, I don't even exist. Yeah. I don't even matter. And it's like, no, you're not a feeling. Yeah. You're a fucking human. And a human isn't isn't just a small projection of this infinite source mm. of light. That's it. The human is this incredible opportunity to see something that cannot be seen when you're blinded by sheer light, which mm. is what's projecting this down. And so it's like, of course I can't fucking see any of that when I'm like, I am sadness. <laughs> and I, as I call up someone and I'm like, I don't can't feel anything. And it's like, because you can't feel anything because all you are is this one myopic totally. thing, not the rainbow of your fucking existence. You're just sadness. Yeah, like, totally. Or just happiness. It's like boring. Like when you're like, I'm just so happy, so amazing. It's like <laughs> you're a fucking idiot. You know? Would you say as well, um, And do you, as you were speaking about this, it just kind of got me excited to ask one more little question. I know we're getting to the end, but how do you feel about non-attachment? What do you mean by that? Okay. Oh, I saw your eyes light up as you said that as well. So, like, <laughs> as you're talking about, well, like, when we kind of, like, believe that we are a feeling. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, say you might date someone and you think they're your soul bud and it feels really great and then you go through a really shitty breakup and you find it really hard to let go. Sure. And so you're still attached to this 
person or it can be that you're attached to a materialistic thing like, you know, um, my car deal last week just came to I was an ambassador for a car company for a while and came to an end last week. They were just like, They take the car away. Yeah, and I was like, (laughs) bye. And, you know, for a couple of days I was like, oh, I'm not good enough. They've dropped me as an ambassador and and my boyfriend's like, no, 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 you're just at the end of your two-year contract. (laughs) That's what happens at the end of contracts. But I was attached to to this one materialistic thing or I definitely have dated people and then I'm attached to the idea of them. Yes. Like how, like I imagine you've got this down pat. I do, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a, there's a, uh, so my book is divided into 44 laws. So there are these laws that prevent you from enlightenment. Don't just sit there. New York Times bestseller. Correct. So Don't Just Sit There is a book about how to meditate in the real world. Like, wow, wanting shit, getting shit, Mm. losing contracts, getting Mm. contracts, all the things. And so there's this one which is, I guess the law of three could be one of them. But I think the, I guess it's the law of three, which is mainly like this idea that if you don't have a centrifugal force Mm. in your life, that is the power. So like to me, like I'm not dating my husband. He's not my source. Like I'm kind of, to me, we're having a threesome, me me and my husband. And in my view, I am dating what I call God. I am not religious. I want to be super clear here. But to me, there is a benevolent force of infinite light, which if I, you know, gave you a tab of acid right now, you'd be like, oh, that, okay, thanks, Biet, got it, right? (laughs) Or if you came to my meditation at Wanderlust, you'd be like. Which I will. Which you will. And it's like. Oh, what the fuck was that? Oh, mate, right? I'm so pumped. <laughs> I'm pumped too. No, because I just love I love the surprise on people's faces mm. when they come to my experiences. Because yeah. they're waiting for somebody to be like, and now you're just gonna breathe. Inhale. Inhale. Yeah. Just feel the bliss <laughs> of your body and your veins. And it's like, ah somebody stabbed me in the eye. <laughs> Can we be friends, please? Because you're amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I wish I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for sharing yourself and, and a little chunk of yourself with all of us of and course. the listeners. And oh, guys, wait, just to close yeah. out that idea, yeah. though. So yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. dating God, yeah, and my husband's dating God. We're both dating him or yeah. it or her yeah. side by side. So like I can't be attached to my husband because he's not the source of my light. He's not the source of my goodness. He's not the source of my sweetness. Yeah. He's just someone I do this with. Yeah. He's my best fucking friend. He's like my lover. Like a teammate? Yeah, but like we, we're we a threesome, yeah. right? So I don't – otherwise it's vampirism. You yeah, said totally. a non-attachment, right? Yeah. Attachment means <laughs> – yeah, take, I take, suck take, you. Take. I suck you. Then you suck me dry. And guess where we both end up? Empty, empty and not happy. Probably miserable yeah. because we because the, there's never enough. A person just isn't oh like an infinite supply. Yeah. So if I suck you dry, so we if we got if we never suck at each other and we only suck from above and then we just give to each other. Yeah. It's like. Endless gold, endless gold. You give so, me goosebumps, dude. So I just wanted to, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> no, your ending. No, 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 I'm so and glad And yes, you we did. can be best friends. Yeah, thank I'm you, so. thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. That made perfect sense. I'm so wrapped you came around full circle sure. then as well. And I can't wait to watch even more of your oh, journey unfold, man. It's going to be an exciting one. Same. I'll see you next year in um, America next year too. I'll oh, be great! There. I'm so, so excited. Can Maybe we can get like even a better car deal for you. Oh yeah, upgrade the car. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. 
<laughs> planting the seed. Exactly. You're phenomenal. You've blown me away. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Lola. Bye. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. <laughs>